Hey, Goal Achievers, welcome to the Elite Achievement Community. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach here to demystify the goal achievement process. If you are ambitious and visionary, then let's get to work so you can maximize your potential and achieve your definition of success. Hey, Goal Achievers, welcome back to Elite Achievement. My guest today is an expert on imposter syndrome and perfectionism. In fact, she has inspired thousands of people at different companies and conferences across the United States through her keynote speaking engagements and webinars. Heather Welpley is a speaker, author, and consultant who guides women to let go of others' expectations and instead create their own rules for life. Heather published her first book, An Overachiever's Guide to Breaking the Rules in 2020. I just finished reading this book this morning, and I cannot wait to explore so many of the topics that Heather talked about, such as inner critic and true inner voice, manic mode, how to set boundaries. I know that this is going to be such a delightful conversation. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here and to dive into this conversation. And thank you for reading my book. I'm already already excited to talk about it as well. <laughs> I dog-eared and underlined so many pages. I felt like you were speaking to me as I was reading it. So it's such a treat to get to actually talk to you now. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Before we dive into your book and all of the concepts around being an overachiever and how to break the rules... What inspired you to leave your corporate role after a decade of working at multinational corporations? It was really two different things. And I will tell you, one was pretty out there, a little woo-woo, and one was very concrete and tangible. So the first thing that happened was in the fall, about five and a half years ago, I was having a conversation with my manager. I was working in leadership development at the time. I really enjoyed my job. I was working for a large company, had a great relationship with my manager. And we were having a career development conversation. So I was sitting in her office and telling her that I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be part of strategy. I wanted to be a team leader. And in the middle of this conversation, a voice came to me loud and clear and said, you are lying right now. And I'd never heard anything like this before. This was not a normal occurrence for me. So I was like, I have to pay attention to that voice. I also didn't know what it meant. It wasn't like, oh, you're lying, but here, go do this. That was not part of the instruction at all. And I, in the moment, finished the conversation with my manager, kept going as if nothing had happened. But I remembered that voice inside my head saying, you're lying about all these things that you say that you want, and it's not actually true for you. Then a few months later, my job changed very concretely to something I knew I was going to hate. My entire body had this visceral reaction against it, like, no, this is not going to work. This is not going to work for you. You are going to have to make a change very quickly. And it was also my birthday, the day that I found that out that my job was changing, which I feel like is just a message from the universe of <laughs> time to take stock and decide what to do. So I knew a change had to happen, but I didn't know what that change was. I had no clue. I'd never considered being an entrepreneur. It always felt really risky and like, what would I do? I don't know what I would do. But I decided to take that step back and think about what were my options? Should I apply for another job at a different company? 
Should I try and negotiate out of this role that I've been placed into? Or should I broaden and consider things I'd never considered before? So I took a few months and did a deep dive. I went through every single exercise in the book, Designing Your Life. I started talking to people. And I started talking to some entrepreneurs, people that I knew that had opened up their own consulting firms or coaching, things that I was interested in doing. And it was like as soon as I started having these conversations, the possibilities just opened up and the floodgates opened of like, oh, wait, yeah, you could do this, Heather. You could run a business. And all these ideas started coming to me of what I could do, most of which I'm not doing now, by the way. But the ideas were there and it felt so high energy and creative and full of possibility. And so five months later, after finding out my job had changed, I gave my notice at work. And I ended up going part-time for about seven months after that. So I fully left literally one day shy to a year after finding out that my job had changed. Really, as I think about you know the potential and possibility piece, it just seemed like wow, like I could really put all of myself into my work and I could be really creative and I could impact the places that I wanted to impact while having this total creative freedom as a business owner. Beyond that, I knew I wanted to do some coaching and some speaking. I didn't really know much else. So the whole first year was like throwing spaghetti at a wall to try and figure out what this business was really going to look like. But that's what inspired me to leave my corporate roles. What a fascinating story. I'm so appreciative that you shared a a couple of very specific things you did, Heather, as you thought about where to take your life and what to do. First of all, I heard you say, I took a step back and asked myself, what are my options? I know it can be tempting in the moment to make these decisions when you're feeling very emotional that cannot be undone. What a helpful process for our listeners to say, it's okay to take a step back take a pause before making the decision and explore my options. And the second thing I heard you say that you did, Heather, is you had a lot of conversations. So often when we're trying to make a big decision, we get all up in our head. And I I heard you say you started talking to a lot of entrepreneurs. And through those conversations, you got all this energy. It's that reminder to take action. And that's where we can get a lot of clarity. Yeah, for me, it's always been this balance between self-reflection and outward action because I learn through doing both. If I'm completely missing the quiet and the space and the self-reflection, then I can take action that's not really aligned to who I am and that true inner voice and my own values. But if I'm only doing self-reflection, then I'm not learning from others. And I'm very much an extrovert as well. So that plays into this. I love having conversations. I learn so much from every single person that I talk to. Plus, I had only ever been in corporate jobs or nonprofit jobs. I had some family members who are entrepreneurs, but not my direct parents. And so I didn't know what being an entrepreneur was like. I didn't feel like I knew what those possibilities were until I started talking to people that showed me what the potential was, the things that I I could do. And that's when the ideas really started flowing. That combination of reflection and outward action has always been really important to me. I resonate with the blend of self-reflection and outward action. One of the questions I've been asking myself lately is exactly why you and I are having this conversation. One of the questions that I keep reflecting on is why do I feel like whatever I achieve is not enough? I'm constantly wanting to do more and go bigger. And I saw your book, An Overachiever's Guide to Breaking the Rules. I thought, hmm, maybe (laughs) I'm an overachiever. How do you know if you're an overachiever? What is the definition of an overachiever? 
Oh, that's such a great question. So first of all, I want to be really clear. There's nothing wrong with achieving. There is nothing wrong with making an impact or working hard. These are all good things. And I still want them, even though I wrote a book on, called An Overachiever's Guide to Breaking the Rules. I still want to have a successful business. I still want to do well. To me, the crux of being the overachiever is partly just in that simple first part of the word, which is the over. The overachieving, the overdoing, it's the working harder than you really need to work. And the root of that is that somehow, somewhere, you are tying your worth to achievement. At least that's what it was for me. I don't want to give that answer that that's true for every single person out there. That was certainly true for me that I was trying to prove at least a part of my worth as a human through this external achievement by getting things done, by doing them well, by having them validated by other people. And if that's the race that you're in, it isn't ever enough, partly because metaphorically speaking, we can't ever prove our worth because we are already worthy. So you are trying Mm. to run a race that can't ever be won because the race doesn't even exist, which I know sounds a little bit out there, but it really is true that you can't prove your worth through doing anything because you are simply worthy as a human, regardless of what you do, which is really hard and not something that I was necessarily used to as someone who was that consummate overdoer, overachiever throughout my school and work life, wanting to do everything, wanting to be involved in everything and wanting to do it all well. So yes, that over part comes in when you're tying your worth to achievement. There's some tangible signs that you might be in that category, like burnout. Although right in this moment in our world's history, burnout's coming from a lot of different reasons. So I think almost everyone is burned out. But I will say I had a conversation with a woman about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and she was saying how burned out she was. And I said, well, is this a new thing? Everyone's kind of burned out right now with the pandemic and everything going on. And she paused and said, well, yeah, but I felt this way before the pandemic too. And I was like, okay, that's a good sign, the good self-awareness there. But yeah, the, the burnout piece, or if you are staying in a job that you don't like or working with a client that you don't really want to work with because you are quote unquote successful in it or that you are getting external validation or that it is what you are supposed to be doing or it's the world's definition of success is that's been handed to you, but it doesn't actually fit who you are. To me, that all falls under this category of the overdoing, overachieving, um, where again, you're tying your worth in some way to that external achievement. So it sounds like understanding how you personally define success is an important part of this work. Do you have any recommendations on how someone can start to identify their own definition of success? Yeah, absolutely. I think part of it is creating the space to ask yourself these questions, to know what rules you are playing by. What have you been taught is the definition of success? What did your parents tell you what success and failure meant? What did your teachers or your boss or what are people at work telling you you're supposed to do or in your business? I mean, as entrepreneurs, we get so many messages about what a successful business is supposed to look like. Always bigger, always better, always more. And that may be right for you or it may not be. The first step in defining what success means to you is starting to unravel what it doesn't mean (laughs) to Mm. you, to understand how you, the definition that you've been given and sifting through what part of that works for you and what doesn't. Because it's not about throwing it all out the window. It's about looking at it and saying, 
of what was given to me or what I've learned over the years, what still holds true for me now and what doesn't hold true for me. And then I think asking yourself those questions of what do I really want? What do I desire? What do I want my life to look like? What's the impact that that I want to have through the work that I'm doing in my day-to-day life? And yes, those are big questions. And I will tell you, particularly as women, we often aren't taught how to or even to ask ourselves those questions like what do i want what do i need or we're taught that it's selfish to ask yourself those questions or to follow through on what you want and need so asking yourself even in really little ways if you're in that category i haven't asked myself that question in a really long time starting to ask yourself in very small ways what do i want today what do i need today can help you to start uncover what's actually important to you in the broader scheme I think this is really challenging in this day and age with social media. There have been so many times in my own business, Heather, where I've been scrolling through social media and I start to compare my business and where I'm at. And this is such a problem because I don't really know what I'm comparing myself to. I'm comparing myself to this image that I see and this perfect post that I see, but I don't know the background. And so I appreciate how you asked questions such as, what have you been taught about success? And then start to unravel what it truly means for you and what holds true for me now. Because I was taught success was earn a lot of money, drive fancy cars, buy Rolexes, and uh, live in this big house. And it's important to pause and ask, is that what you want? Is that how you define success? Yes, absolutely. And of course, your happiness comes into this as well. (laughs) Like, what do you find fulfilling? What makes you happy? And not just happy on a surface level, but that real joy and experiencing joy and pleasure and purpose in life. And I will tell you, especially when I first started my business, I felt the same way as you did with the comparison piece. I felt so behind in Mm -hmm. every part of my business. Even though I was in year one, I still felt behind from where I was supposed to be. I had this very strange notion in my head that I needed to match my corporate salary in a year, which did not happen. I just had this built up expectation or standard in my mind that wasn't true. I don't know where it was coming from. It was coming from these messages all around us. But sometimes it was provoked by very specific people and not in a way where they were trying to provoke it, but where I felt like they were in their business and it made me feel behind. I will tell you, a while ago, I went through and quite literally unfollowed all of those people, some of whom I know and like and respect. And I was still like, I'm not gaining anything from this. It's making me feel behind in a game and in a race I don't even want to be playing in. And so let me just exit myself entirely. I can't control all the messages that are coming to me, but where I can control, let's control and take it off of the board so I'm not getting those messages in the first place. Something you mentioned, which is so important, is it a game I even want to be playing in? Yes. That was me last year where I told myself this story, and this was probably my inner critic, that the only way to scale my business is to create a course, and I need to create a course, and I need to have a launch plan, and I studied, and I looked at all the influencers. And let's be clear, Heather, I am not an influencer. That is not my role. I am a coach. I help people achieve their goals. And um, I I totally went down the comparison rabbit hole and, and all the shoulds, which are probably also signs that you are overachieving if you're focusing on the shoulds. Yes. Well, and I'll tell you, the shoulds are not just overachieving. The shoulds come from the rules in general that we are mm-hmm. handed. And for women, there's a lot of bias in those rules. There is for everyone, but it's you know, there's a lot of gender stereotypes that go in with these rules of 
I should put everyone before me, or I can't disappoint anyone. I can't say no, or I have to say yes to everything. I'm not allowed to slow down. I have to be productive all the time. It's lazy to rest. And some of those are not gendered, but some of them are much more gendered. And then as women too, we've gotten a lot of indirect, sometimes direct, but indirect messages over the course of our lifetimes that part of our value is not just in working hard, but is also in being likable. So (laughs) you have to do both. (laughs) And if you also equate any of that success to other people liking you or the relationships that you have, then it can dive in even deeper there too. It's a whole big thing, but it does have to do with some of those rules are not specifically around overachieving. They're bias that's handed to women as a whole. Um, so it helps to understand when you're, you're looking at this definition of success of what are those rules that have been handed to me and do I want to keep playing by them or not? It's not your fault that they were handed to you and they helped you at some point, but you might not need to play by them anymore in your life or in your work or in your business. Are you enjoying this episode and feeling encouraged to take the next step towards maximizing your potential? Don't let that energy pass you by. Goal achievers consistently take action to achieve great success. Grab your free breakout plan right now at kristenburk.com to begin your journey today. That was an important part of the book, this whole concept around this whole concept around rules. And before reading your book, I don't think I realized that I had all these rules. And sometimes I have really silly rules, such as it doesn't count as a 30-minute Peloton ride unless I hit a 200 output. Why? Is that a rule? That like, right. that is not in the Peloton user guidebook, but that is some rule that I made up in my mind. So let's talk a little bit more about rules. What are these rules? And then how do we learn to break them? As you said, the should is always a really good indication of a rule. Now, sometimes should can come from an obligation, a positive obligation as well. But oftentimes those shoulds, always, have tos, never, anything that feels like this black and white, because most things in life are not black and white. I'll give you a quick example that's not related specifically to a business or work, but it illustrates this really well, is about a year and a half ago, I was in the process of moving from Minnesota to Colorado. And because of that, I was going to move in with a friend for a few months while I was making this decision so that I didn't have to sign a lease somewhere. I had a lot of flexibility. And in this conversation, I was talking to my parents about this move. And I said, you know, the other nice thing about moving with my friend is I'll save some money. And my dad looked at me and said, it's always good to save money. And I thought, ding, 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 ding. That is a rule I've been taught that's probably true 80% of the time, but not the other 20%. And I will tell you, as a business owner... I have really had to learn how to spend money because I was taught that rule all growing up that it's always good to save money. And so that always was that indicator of a rule that I'd been taught. And yes, that literally came out of someone's mouth and that doesn't always happen, but that can be a very clear indicator of a rule that you're following. So even if you're feeling that way, like I can't disappoint anyone, I always have to do this, I can't do this, I'm not allowed to rock the boat, I always have to do my best, like always, no matter the situation, I always have to do my best. Those are all indications of rules that you might be following that, as you said, aren't necessary. And they'd come from the messages somewhere around us. So even though they feel very internal and it feels like we're making them up, 
they're really coming from our past experiences, from social media messages, just any of those things around us that are sinking into us and becoming beliefs without us even knowing it. And then we make decisions based on those beliefs that may not actually be helpful to you, to your business, or to your community or world as a whole, to be honest as well. So those are all really good indications of um, starting to become aware of the rules that you're following. And if you become aware that you're following a rule that isn't serving you, how can you start to break the rule? Oh my gosh, this is such a great question. And so part of it, I think, is then creating the new rules. So for example, mine is, you know, I had all these rules around, I have to be productive all the time, even though I always loved fun too. So I never had a problem having fun, but I would feel this like pull if I was just relaxing and doing nothing back to my computer or back to work. And I would say it was actually even worse when I started my business rather than in my corporate. I definitely had it in my corporate career as well. But as an entrepreneur, it really is all, all on you to a degree. And especially when I was in that active, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue what my business is about and I need to make money phase. I was putting an undue amount of pressure on myself. And so I started examining, but but I finally stopped and said, why am I doing this? Like, why am I working so hard and overdoing things and putting all this pressure on myself? And for me, the answer came immediately, which is I'm doing it to prove myself, to prove my worth, which for me goes way back into roots related to high school and weight and dating and all of these things that if you want to know more about that story, you can read the book because it's all in there. But it really was deep for me. It was very, very deep. And so uncovering those the rules that I was following and then saying, no, I want a new rule for myself. I want the rule of I am worthy for who I am, not what I do. And that was the rule that really stuck with me. I will tell you other people have rules like, I can be responsible without taking responsibility for everything. Or I can care without caring about every single detail and taking responsibility for it. So once you identify some of these new rules and and they sink in over time, it can be an act of reflection, or you can see what arises that really resonates with you. And then start acting as if you believe those rules even if they are uncomfortable, even if you don't fully believe them. And this leads to one of two things. So one is you take action. If it's a more concrete rule, like I don't have to be responsible for everything. I can care without taking responsibility for everything. You take action based on that and you realize, oh, I don't actually have to be responsible for everything. Things work out most of the time. Other people step in and take responsibility. Everything didn't fall apart like I thought it was going to wow, that's amazing. (laughs) And it reinforces this belief in you. So you're creating a new story in your mind. The other side of like, you can't really ever prove your worth. But if you start acting based on the fact that for me, you know, I'm worthy for who I am, not what I do, even though there wasn't maybe concrete evidence of it out there, like there is with letting go of responsibility, the story still sunk into me over time. And I realized over the course of months, maybe even a year, that I actually really did believe it. And and interestingly, you brought up the course thing a few minutes ago. I also thought I needed to have a course and imposter syndrome and what to do about it was my most popular speaking topic. So I was like, well, great, let's create an imposter syndrome course. 
And I love course design. I mean, this is what I do. I'm a speaker. I'm a trainer for my background. So I had no issue creating the course at all, but it was the marketing side. So I hired a digital marketer, tried to put it out there, did all these things on Facebook that I will tell you, I didn't really like any of them. I loved designing the course, but I didn't love anything else that had to do with it. And the entire thing failed. The whole thing failed. Literally one person signed up for this course. And I almost didn't care. I was a little disappointed. I was frustrated with the money that I'd spent. That was for sure true. But I didn't feel like a failure. I was like, oh, this course failed, but I'm not a failure. And it was really the first time in my life that I felt quite detached from the outcome. Like I could learn from it, but I wasn't sucked into the outcome as a person. It wasn't a reflection of me. And that was really the first time in my life, and especially in my business, that I'd noticed that. And I was like, oh, that's because I now believe this. And it's really sunk into me. It's not just an idea. It is now a true belief. And because of that, I can experiment. I can try new things. I can have things fail. And it's okay. It's okay that they failed. One of the rules that you pointed out in the book that I I underlined is I carry all their details and emotions in my head in a way that most male coaches I know simply don't. They just let it go. And I think I, I find that to be true. I'm constantly reflecting and ruminating and thinking about my clients. And I think a lot of the clients that I work with, they care a lot about the people that they serve as well. How can we let it go? It's such a good question because empathy and connection are good, right? Research says that women carry a higher emotional and mental load than men do. And I am a single (laughs) non-mother, so to put that out there, but mothers do this even more so, I think, than you know, non-mothers around their kids. Women are the ones who remember it's dress-up day at daycare. And of course, this doesn't go for every woman or every man or every relationship. But if we're talking about cisgender, heterosexual relationships, even those that are very equal on paper as far as how duties are being split up, it doesn't end up being equal from an emotional and mental load perspective. And that's where this comes in. And it's because of that bias and those rules that we've been handed saying that women are supposed to take care of everyone and put everyone above them. That's where this mental and emotional load comes from. So part of deconstructing that is deconstructing the rules that you don't have to be that, um, that you don't have to take care of and responsibility for every single detail out there. But I think part of it too is determining what of this do I like? What's helpful? What's beneficial? And what's not? Because like I said, empathy and connection are really good things. Caring about people is good. We we need more caring and connection in our world. But the overdoing or feeling like you are responsible for other people's emotions is not particularly helpful. Um, and then I think the other piece that for me helps to let go is finding those activities that help me to disconnect. So for me, hiking is one of my biggest things. No matter what's going on in my head, if I go out for a solo hike and I get out on the trail, everything's good in about five minutes. <laughs> It allows me to completely disconnect or to let go of any ruminating thoughts I have or to sort through things and just let it all go. So I think finding out what those activities are for you. And for some people sitting there and doing nothing, sitting quietly for a few minutes and taking a deep breath. Some people it's active release. Other people it is people and community that help you to let go. So it's different. It's different for everyone, but knowing what helps you is beneficial. 
I found myself crying in yoga this past weekend. And I thought, what the heck is that? I'm literally in child's pose at the start of the class and tears are coming out of my eyes. I'm thinking, what is going on? That must have been an active release of things I'm holding on to. And of course, I'm reading your book. So I'm probably working through all of my own inner critics and, and everything. I'll just want to point out, tears are such a huge release. And sometimes we know why we're crying. There's a very concrete reason. But other times, it's exactly what you said. Like I was just sitting there. And I've also found that particularly for women like us who tend to be moving a lot and always going and always working hard, that if you slow down, emotions can come up. So whether you're in child's pose or you're sitting on the couch or even a slow walk, not a power walk, (laughs) but a slow walk. I've felt that myself, but I've also had coaching clients tell me when I slow down, I start to cry and I'm not even sad. I don't know what's going on. And it's just a buildup of of emotions that is inside of you and that need to be released. So I think of it as a very healthy thing. And of course, if anything ever feels like too much, that's always a good sign to reach out to a therapist or another (laughs) helping professional or someone that can help you through those things. But crying is just a release and it's a good thing. Does this lead us to talk about manic mode, which is this space that I feel like I'm constantly going, I talk fast, I walk fast, busy, busy, busy. I feel like I'm in manic mode a lot. Yes. So just to define how I define manic mode, this is a term I made up. (laughs) So if you Google it, you probably will not find it. I want to be also very clear. I'm not talking about manic mode as it relates to an actual mental health condition. This is something more that I feel where I feel like somewhat like you were just describing, Kristen, like I'm moving faster than I really need to. And sometimes that is a physical movement. Like I am rushing through the grocery store when I don't need to be rushing through the grocery store. And sometimes it's a mental pace where I feel like my brain has kicked up a couple of notches from where it needs to be. And sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes there are times when we want to move fast through things and and be connecting all the dots all the time and going quickly. And that's helpful. But it's not how our bodies are meant to operate day to day. We're actually designed to be slower a lot of the time and then have these you know, intermittent sprints, essentially. Uh, but most of our world is designed where our entire body is amped up more than it needs to be. So this is that manic mode. And I first realized that I think I was quite literally returning something in coals. And I was like, why am I moving this fast? I don't need to be rushing. And when I notice it now, I just stop and take a breath, particularly when it's a physical feeling. I just stop and take a breath and remind myself, I'm not actually in a hurry. And even if I am, the 10 seconds I'm going to save by moving my body faster is not actually helpful at all. And then when I stop and take that breath, oftentimes physically slowing myself down will often mentally slow myself down as well. So doing those things like taking a breath, taking a slow walk, laying on the floor, whether you're actively meditating or just kind of laying there, all of those things can help to move out of manic mode. But a lot of it is noticing. It's noticing when you're in it and taking a pause and and slowing yourself down. So this is probably why I have felt compelled to meditate more And I've not done a great job of building past a five-minute meditation, but even laying there for five minutes is is helpful. That's great. No, five minutes is five minutes longer than not doing it. And your brain can slow down a lot in five Mm. minutes. I think we can sometimes put undue expectations on ourselves about what meditation is supposed to look like. Like, I should just be able to clear out my whole brain. And, you know, no, that doesn't usually happen. But 
it does calm you down and slow you down and allow you to focus more in general. I am not a daily meditator by any stretch of the imagination, but it is helpful. Whatever creates that space for you is good. Whether it's 30 seconds or 30 minutes, it doesn't matter. Well, leave it to the overachiever to feel the need to track and quantify (laughs) meditation exercises. It's probably the complete opposite of what they are supposed to be doing. I want to talk about inner critic and true inner voice. A lot of the coaching conversations I have, we need to unpack some of the stories that are keeping us from reaching our goals and the limiting beliefs that are keeping us from reaching our goals. So what is the difference between the inner critic and the true inner voice? The inner critic, I mean, to a certain degree is just what it sounds like. We all have it. Even if you haven't heard that term before, that inner mean girl. It's the voice that's telling you you're not enough. You need to be working harder. You always need to be doing more. Um, Anything you're doing isn't good enough. Maybe you hurt someone's feelings. Did you say that too directly or not directly enough? Or you should have asked for more money or less money. I mean, all of the things, right? It depends on the person, what your story is, and of, of course, the situation as well. But that's that inner critic that really is circular. Oftentimes, it's ruminating up in your head. And The interesting thing is the inner critic is trying to protect you. We can treat it with some compassion. It's trying to protect you from embarrassment, from shame, things like that. But at the same time, it's, it's doing its job a little too well. And it can really keep you small by listening to the voice of that inner critic. And that voice oftentimes comes from those messages, again, going back to those rules we've been taught or past experiences where maybe something wasn't perfect and you got called out for it in a pretty humiliating way. So your inner critic does a whole lot to protect you from that feeling again. So that's the inner critic voice. The true inner voice I consider to be the core of you. You can call it your soul, your inner mentor, uh, a future self. There's a lot of different words that you could use to describe that true inner voice. For some people, there is a spiritual or religious connotation to the true inner voice. For other people, there's not at all. But it's really the core of who you are. I also like to compare the heart voice to the head voice or the body and what your body is telling you, your intuition, all of those things are your true inner voice. And the problem is the true inner voice is very strong, but it's not always loud. And especially when we aren't used to listening to it, or it's kind of been trained out of us not to listen to it. Um, Because sometimes the true inner voice wants you to do things that are not particularly logical. And our world tells you, you, you should only do the logical things the things that make sense on paper. And I will tell you, I have no problem with logic. I'm probably pretty evenly split between logic and intuition and and how I make my decisions. But I also know that when my true inner voice is really clear and really telling me I need to go do something, it's never steered me wrong, even if it doesn't make sense on paper. So a year and a half ago, moved to Colorado just because I wanted to. (laughs) And because I felt called to move here, it was really that true inner voice telling me, you need to go do this. And it made no sense on paper. My business contacts were in Minnesota. And yes, we're in the middle of the pandemic, which temporarily made it easier to move. But I didn't know what that was going to look like long term. And I felt at home the second I got here. And I enjoyed living in Minnesota too. It's where I grew up. Nothing was wrong with that. But the second I got here, I felt at home and there has been no impact to my business. In fact, my business has grown substantially in the time that I quote unquote, didn't do what made sense on paper for it. 
Similarly, in my business, the first couple of years, I did what everyone told me to do in my business. I Just like you, I was listening to the experts out there. I was following all their rules. And yes, I learned a lot from that. So I don't have any regrets from trying all those different things. But my business took off when I took that step back and was like, what actually works for me? What's my intuition telling me that I need to be doing? What makes me happy? What's fulfilling to me? And following that true inner voice instead of that inner critic voice of all the things I was supposed to be doing to run a successful business. When I let go of those, that's when my business actually got successful. And I could parse out what did I want to be following and what didn't I want to be following. Head voice versus heart voice, the inner critic ruminating versus that soul and what is really right for you. And your body also plays a role in this too. So your body is part of that guiding force of what is your body? What are the messages your body is giving you about the decisions to make and what's right or wrong for you? How can we learn to listen to our inner voice more than that inner critic? Yeah, I think you have to create space. I'm realizing this, and I don't actually think this was in my first book, An Overachiever's Guide to Breaking the Rules, but I just started writing my second book. So it'll be quite a while before it is out. But one of the chapters is going to be, unless I change my mind, one of the chapters is going to be on creating space for yourself because I've just discovered how important it is to have some space to hear yourself think. And if you're someone who needs a little bit of structure, journaling can help with that. Prompts like, what I'm really longing for is, or what I'm feeling right now is, or what I really want is, those are all prompts. And setting an alarm for five minutes and writing continuously can help over time to uncover. And sometimes you'll uncover something immediately in those five minutes. And sometimes it'll just feel like a nice purge to get get things out on paper. But sometimes real things come up in there. And so you don't always need big space, although that can be helpful too. Sometimes it can just be these small spaces, but we need it. We need some quiet. We need some time. We need some space to be able to hear ourselves and not just the voice in our heads, but the voice in our hearts. I know that there is so much more information in your book, An Overachiever's Guide to Breaking the Rules. So if our listeners are curious about any of the topics that we've discussed today, I highly recommend grabbing a copy of that book. How can our listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? My website is the best one-stop shop for all the information. You can learn about my speaking. You can read my blog there. You can order signed hardcover copies of my book on my website. It's the only place that they're available. Um, So it has all the information there. LinkedIn is the best social media platform for me. You can connect or you can follow me on LinkedIn. If you're more of an Instagram person, you can find me there as well, but I'm just not there as often. LinkedIn is definitely the best place. And then if you want to... um, read the book and, and you don't want to buy a hardcover or you prefer an audiobook, the audiobook, ebook, and paperback are all available on Amazon, including outside the US. So the paperback is available in many countries outside the US as well, which is really nice. So those are the best ways to find me and connect with me. Thank you for sharing all of your insights around being an overachiever, around breaking rules, around learning to listen to your true inner voice. I greatly appreciate all of your wisdom this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. It's been a really fun conversation. With that goal, achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned, and identify your priorities for next week so you can consistently pursue progress in the direction of your goals. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are feeling inspired and want to join the Goal Achievers community, visit my website, kristenberg.com to sign up and get connected. We can also hang out socially on Instagram. Follow me at Meet Kristen Burke. Links are in the show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this show. Until next time, goal achievers, keep progressing toward your goals and celebrate those weekly wins. <laughs>